Welcome to episode 155 of This Week in Marketing Show, also known as your Twim Show. This is your host, Sajid Islam, and today I will be going over the notable news and updates from the week of April 3rd to 7th, 2023. So today, first half, we have an announcement from Microsoft Advertising, where Microsoft has globally uh, launched professional services ads to help consumers directly connect to professionals in a variety of industries such as insurance, real estate, doctor, uh, clinics, tax services, and home services, right? And uh, just last week, Microsoft announced the beta testing uh, ads for health uh, services such as doctors and you know dentists and things like that. Um, so... <clears throat> That is still ongoing. Uh, we chose not to cover that in our show just because it's better testing. But now that they are rolling out um, the professional services ads globally, I thought, you know, I bring it over to you. Uh, so if you're in any of these fields, uh, you know, whether you're a real estate agent or you're a tax advisor or a doctor or consultant, this is a good time for you to probably uh, throw your hat in into Microsoft advertising and give this a try now microsoft is recommending you know a, a daily spend of about 100 to 500 dollars uh, so that's a big gap like you know if you spend 100 dollars a day that's in 30 days you're spending 3500 it becomes to 15000 right it's a huge gap but i think you know 100 dollars a day is something definitely doable if you are a real business uh, I don't see a reason why you cannot do that <clears throat> and, and kind of try it out. And the starting beat, the Microsoft suggests, is between 3 to $5 range. So assuming, you know, you are bidding at the $5 range with $100, you have 20 clicks to play with before you run out of ads. And, you know, you run it for a month, two or two, and you kind of get to see, you know, if you're really breaking even or not. And I think you should be. And Microsoft is saying professional services ads uh, definitely do help you get more visibility and more customers over the, you know, responsive search ads or the expanded text ads, depending on how you look at it. Just the text ads, right? Okay, with that, let's jump into the next uh, update, which is from Google. And Google has announced that they're going to remove four attribution from Google Analytics and Google Ads. The four attributions are first click, linear, time decay, and position-based. Again, if you're not sure what attribution uh, are, attribution are basically who gets the credit for the traffic that lands on your site. So, for example... You see our ad, Market and Grow on YouTube, and you click on that ad and you land to our uh, website, then obviously the attribution should go to YouTube because, you know, you click, you saw the ad on YouTube, you clicked on it, you landed on our website. Now, it goes, the, and that's a very generic uh, concept for attribution. Uh, it goes a little bit beyond that where, you know, basically it comes into play that you click on our ad on YouTube, you land it on our website, and we want you to fill out a, a appointment or a book a free consultation form, Okay. And you read whatever it is, uh, you got interrupted by a phone call, and of course you kind of navigated away from our website and you forgot all about it. Now, since you landed on our website, we know who you are, kind of, we kind of pixeled you based on you know whether it's cookie or GF or whatever targeting mechanism we use. We know you have been a visitor and we wanted to show you a retargeting ad saying, hey, Mr. XYZ, you've been on our website, you were trying to book a call, maybe it's you forgotten, why don't you come back and you finish the transaction maybe we start showing it in two days later 
So today's uh, say Saturday, uh, you see the ad, and then you know we kind of let it kind of you know let you since whatever reason we don't show you the ad until Tuesday. So on Tuesday you go to Facebook, you see our ad. You go to LinkedIn, you see our ad, right? And now that you see our ad, you're like, oh wow, I was I meant to book a call, I forgot about it. Let me go get it done. And now you click on that ad again, and you come back to our website and. Um, you go ahead and you know f- complete the transaction, which is book a con- free consultation. Okay, now who gets the credit? Should the credit go to the first ad, or should the credit go to the second ad, uh, or should both of the ads should get a credit, or is it going to be uh, the last ad should have more pref- more uh, ad credit? Or was it the first one? How do you divvy it up, right? Because remember, depending on where you send, uh, who you give credit to, that's where you will spend money. Because remember, you saw the ad in YouTube. Now, if I double down on LinkedIn, thinking, oh, LinkedIn is giving me more conversion, guess what? I am actually forgetting about the most important channel, which was YouTube in this example, right? Because you saw my ad first on YouTube. Uh, LinkedIn was just a reminder. So this is where whole attribution comes into play. Attribution helps us to understand who should get the credit and whatnot. Now, I hope I was able to explain to you what attribution is in a very short, concise format, uh, given the time constraint. So now Google has decided, you know what, uh, first click, linear, time decay, position based. These are all four different types, which is like, you know, first click says, oh, the first click was YouTube. So you should YouTube should get that thing. Linear is like, you know, everyone equally, everyone involved in the journey should get equal credit. Uh, time decay is like, you know, as time goes by, the first credit is no longer important. The credits kind of skews towards or um, the the end, like, you know, the U- LinkedIn gets more credit than, you know, YouTube and things like that. And position-based is like where that click happened and things like that. So now Google is removing all of them and just leaving behind two attribution models. One is data-driven attribution or known as DDA. Uh, this was something rolled out about three years ago back in 2020 because since it's 2023 and Google decides mathematically, uh, you know, and obviously Google doesn't share the formula in terms of who should get the credit and how much. That's one DDA. And the other one they're going to keep in, in place uh, starting May is the last click. So Google is going to now is saying, hey, you have two attribution to choose from, whether it's DDA or last click. Uh, again, if you had to ask me, I would say DDA is a better choice than last click because last week click can give you a wrong information. So having said that, I'm kind of sad that Google is removing all the other options while I am pro DDA. Uh, however, it was always fun for us to see you know, how our numbers would have been if we had you know, had a different con- attribution model in place and kind of gives us a lot more idea of what the market is looking for and where things are falling apart. But it is what it is. It's you know Google's play. We live in Google's world. Uh, you know, in this case, of course, uh, and you know we we cannot really have much say. So having said that, now you know everything to be in the know. Just remember, starting May, obviously, all the other attributions are going to stop collecting uh, data, uh, and you are going to automatically get converted into DDA. If you want to s- stick to last click, then obviously you have to change that manually, which I don't think you should go for because you want to stick to DDA at a minimum. 
And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, to us, and I can try to help you as much as I can uh, without making it a private consultation. Okay, with that, let's move on to the next update, which is YouTube has launched this new fancy features. I love this feature, which is uh, YouTube is now going to show in your YouTube da uh, studio dashboard where, you know, what your what type of content your audience or what format of content. Yeah, what format of content your audience is watching on other channels. Can you imagine that? Where I, it's not just the type of content or things are happening. Like it could just tell me, uh, hey, most of my audience, most of my visitors, they are consuming reels. So that kind of tells me I should focus on reels because, you know, that will get me more traction, right? So I really like this update. Uh, again, this is a trial launch of audience interest. So you may or may not see it in your YouTube studio, but keep in mind uh, what has historically been where YouTube launches some trial launch basically means it's limited capacity, give it to select creators only because they want to basically work uh, all the uh, kinks in the back and then they're going to roll it out globally. So if you don't see it, you're going to get it. But I really, really like this update. Okay. The next one from YouTube is that YouTube now allows eligible creators to insert ads to a live stream. So if you're doing any event on um, YouTube live, uh, you can insert ads. Now, there are two options to do that. One is you can do uh, automatically. So YouTube will automatically insert ads into your live stream, which I don't think you should do it. The other one is obviously you can do it manually. So if you're doing a, like an eight-hour live stream, right, and you take like, you know, every hour and 15 minutes, uh, you decide to take a break. This is where a good place for you to insert ads and monetize that event. Can you imagine? I love this. It's like TV and where you are like your own broadcasting studio and this is going to actually get more content created. And after I saw this update, I was like, why would anyone actually create and do a live stream on Facebook? Unless, of course, you hate money. The other option is obviously you can use softwares like OBS and there are so services called Restream that you can use to multicast, right? You could stream it into YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and simultaneously different channels and then you can insert ads into YouTube during break, break time uh, and kind of make some monetize this thing. So I like this option and I'm quite sure Facebook is going to copy it in the future. But for now, it's on YouTube. Uh, and if you are one of those uh, lucky creators, enjoy it until it opens up for the rest of us. Okay, <clears throat> now Google has come out and given our recommendations how to prevent accidental indexing of staging sites. Staging sites are sites that you create to, like for example, you're building a new version of your website or you have a dev website where you test things like this and you don't want that site to get indexed because if you do, it creates confusion, it has old data and all sorts of headaches. Now, obviously, this was uh, discussed in the search of the podcast, which is usually ho hosted by, I believe, John Mueller, Gary Illis, and there's a, I think, third person. I forgot the name. I apologize. Uh, I'm bad with names, I'm bad with you know specific details, but I know kind of overall high general stuff. Uh, so the three things that are coming out <clears throat> that I think you should know about is number one, obviously you can make your staging site password protected. So as soon as you type in www.mystagingsite.com, it throws you a password box saying, you know, hey, uh, you need to enter a password. And obviously that's the easiest one. Uh, that way Google crawlers or any of the robots <clears throat> out there are not going to be able to index your site. That's number one. Number two, you can have a robot.txt file and block search engines from crawling the staging sites that says is robot uh, disallow, deny, uh, tag, and all you're good to go. 
The third is you can add a no index tag on each page. Now this is more involved. You don't want you if you do it in no index on uh, on each page and you have like say five thousand pages, then my God, that's a lot of pages, right? So this is not definitely something I would recommend. But if you have like you know a one or two pages on your site or uh, which is the main website and you make modifying it, you may want to put no index. But <coughs> whether it's option B or C, I want you to know if you do go by that route, then obviously you have to remember to go ahead and you know change those tags, we update the robot tags or the remove the no index tag before you go live or else you're gonna be scratching your head and like, why is this page not getting indexed? Does Google hate me? What did I do wrong? Right, you wanna avoid, so it's very important that you you know keep that in mind, write it down on your uh, notebook or on your launch day put it in your to-do list, whatever you do, you do. You have to make sure you, you're on top of that. And number the first one, which is a, you know, adding a staging site password, which is much easier. Uh, you know if a site is, if you forget to remove the password and you migrate the site and obviously throwing a password, you're gonna find out very soon and you can remove it quickly, easily. So the f number one is obviously easy. Uh, number B is also easy, but a little bit you have to remind it. Number C is hard, uh, and you have to add a reminder as well. So depending on where you are in your journey, who you are using as a platform, web service provider, and things like that, you may want to do one or the other, or a combination of both. But again, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Now, the next update is obviously what Google feels about using AI to write content because you know this topic keeps coming back up. So obviously Google's official stance is that you can use AI to write content as long as it's fine, assuming the content is not written to manipulate the search results. It's useful, helpful, and quality content. Right. Uh, however, John Mueller feels differently. Uh, obviously, if you read his responses, which is in the show notes, I'm not going to go into it and make this uh, recording longer. But he comes around someone who is anti, uh, let me see what it is, uh, anti-AI, right? He doesn't like AI content. However, that is not the case. Uh, but I will, you know, actually, you know what? I will jump into it. Why not? Just use one example. So this user, Vakil Kefi, Kefari asked him, hey, what if I I have a website uh, that gives, that talks about uh, law, legal website uh, in Farsi, because he's from Iran, and he's saying, what if I were to create content in English using ChatGPT, right, in English, and then use Google Translate to translate into Farsi, and then uh, put it up on my website? Would that be against Google's guideline? So to that, John Miller said, if you had an important legal case, would you want your lawyer to use ChatGPT and Google Translate to make the argument before the judge? Very valid point, right? Uh, quite, you could probably say John Miller was being a smarty pants. Okay, uh, but if I were to read between the lines, what's John Miller is saying, look, guy, don't just go to ChatGPT and get your output and translate into Google, uh, use Google Translate to translate and then put it up on your website. Make sure the content is good, you understand the content, you have domain knowledge, so you know what's a good content and what's a bad content and you ignore it and you modify it, you tweak it and then you polish it and then you put it up on there. That's what Google, uh, John Miller is saying. Even though he comes across, uh, at a surface level, he comes across anti-AI, it's not. Google does support AI. Uh, again, you know, you could probably create crappy content and get by and get indexed and you could say, woohoo, Chad GPD is the way, you know what, we killed it, we crushed it. In fact, I have seen tons of posts on LinkedIn that talks about it and in fact, I'm gonna dissect a little bit of that in the future in on our Market and Grow channel. So make sure you follow Market and Grow channel, you will find some of the stuff there. 
But what I'm going with this is like, just because you get by today doesn't mean tomorrow Google is not going to be uh, make an update to their AI, to the algorithm, and then you get dinged, right? Always follow what Google is saying. Uh, I mean, you know, if you've been listening to the show, I always say, go follow what Google is saying versus, you know, some of these wannabe uh, experts with, you know, no concrete evidence, like, you know, just drawing correlations between two events and saying you know this is causing that which i highly doubt as having uh, or having success and then suddenly getting dinged and getting blacklisted or getting a manual action you don't want any of those like if you do you should not be listening to this show you should be probably paying attention to some of those experts out there and i you're not going to hurt my feelings i'm being very uh, transparent with you all Okay, with that, if you're using ChatGPT to write content, make sure you're writing good, helpful content and you're not writing like, you know, producing crap out there, right? And people will know if you're producing crap, right? Okay, cool. Uh, then the next update is, will Google ignore iframes? That was a big discussion that happened and obviously there is a lot of school of thoughts and some people are saying, Google, if you have iframes on your webpage, uh, then obviously Google is going to ignore it. If you don't, if you do, and Google doesn't ignore So it's just a lot of back and forth, right? And also goes to show, you know, what different kinds of school of thought is out there. So John Mueller jumped in and that says, you know what, look, Back in the day, obviously, we could Google was not smart enough to know what iframe was. It couldn't go in and read what what was inside of an iframe. Now, by the way, let me take a step back and explain to you what an iframe is. Iframe is basically when you go to a page, and some people use iframe to put a different content of a different web page into that page, right? So, one great example is if you go to our website marketandgrow.com/slash/toimshow. And you go to each individual uh, episodes, like for example, episode. This is episode one fifty five. You know, we will use an iframe to embed the podcast, the audio recording into that page, right? Obviously, the audio portion of this podcast is hosted on Transistor, which is a different website. But we want to pull that content out of Transistor and put it in part of our web page, right? So we use iframe to insert, embed into it. Now, obviously, the school of thought, one school of thought, says if you have an iframe, any content that's within that iframe does not get indexed. The other school of thought is if you have iframe or you are getting giving uh, credit to that page or you're borrowing credit from that page and blah, 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 or, you know, Google doesn't ignore it and content doesn't get indexed at all. John Miller says, no, that's not as easy as that. Now, yes, Google can read what's inside of iframe. It's smarter. However, we definitely encourage you not to use iframe when possible, if possible, and if you are using it, uh, obviously there are different tags you can use, like for example, xframe options header to block iframe completely. If you don't want iframe to be any content within uh, iframe to be indexed. Number two, use uh, the index if embedded uh, tag. Uh, this was something covered back a few episodes ago uh, in our show. I know that. So obviously, if you're following it, you're kind of on top of this kind of stuff. And the third is you can use no index robot meta tags or x robots meta tag. Like obviously, these are some of the tags uh, like x dash robots dash tag. If this is something confusing to you or at a high level, uh, you're unsure, of course, you should talk to an expert. Now, the rule of thumb is if possible, avoid iframe. And obviously, there are some unavoidable cases, like, for example, in our case, I just gave you an example, which is uh, the Twim show. There is no way I can embed uh, the podcast into that page, into the show notes, without using an iframe. So, you know, again, I'm not too concerned about getting that page, the audio indexed. So, 
for me, it works out pretty well. Uh, your case may vary, your mileage may vary. Uh, so you need to talk to your website designer and see how can you avoid iframes if possible. Okay. The last update of this week was again another confusion that was like, you know, hey, if I have pagination, will that impact impact crawl budget? So let me first explain what a pagination is. So for example, and this is something, you know, uh, you see a lot on Amazon website, you go and type in, let's just say, uh, I don't know, iPhone charger. Okay, I see my phone and obviously iPhone charger came into my mind. And obviously you have five pages of results. That's pagination. Instead of having all, and each page has 20 results, so in, instead of having 100 in one page, if you have 20 pages, uh, five pages of results, that's 100 results. Uh, now the question is, will it affect uh, SEO crawl budget? Now what is a crawl budget? So crawl budget basically means Google has given, like for every site, and now obviously you do not know what that number is, but it's for every site, Google has a set number of how many of pages on that site will Google crawl every day. For Amazon, it's a lot higher number than, for example, your and my website. So for my website, say for six pages per day. Now, if you have pagination, so the question was, like, if I have pagination turned on and Google comes to my website, will it crawl all the pages? And if it does, will it count against my crawl budget? Absolutely, yes. That's what John is saying, saying, you know what? Uh, that's where you know site design comes into play. You have to be careful about that because if you have multiple pages and your crawl budget is say six or ten or twelve, and you have six pages of uh, results, yes, we will follow those links and we will treat it like you know, as individual links. We're not going to treat it as part of the same link, and such that now we're going to count it against your crawl budget. Now, why does it matter? It matters a lot. Right. Obviously, you do not know your site's crawl budget, but you don't know. You, you have a relatively small site. You don't have thousands of pages. You don't publish like you are not CNN.com or you are not uh, Fortune.com or Forbes.com where you publish hundreds of pages every day. So your crawl budget is something going to stay limited. And you don't want to use it up by trying to be fancy and design a site. Oh, I want people to uh, scroll, especially if you have an e-commerce site, right? You want to draw through all your products in one page or try to kind of design it in such a way uh, that, you know, you if when Google comes in to crawl your site, it crawls everything that it can in within that crawl budget, assuming you don't, uh, again, you assuming your scroll budget is limited. Can you imagine, folks, that, such a simple thing as design affects how your website gets scrolled and indexed. Who would have thought, right? And that's why you should be listening to this show every day. And if you're listening to this show, uh, you should share it with your friends. Uh, again, that's hashtag shameless plug. But uh, I just say this because, you know what, there is so much to learn just because there is so much relationship between a design uh, decision as well as how your site gets scrolled and indexed and obviously ranked. Okay, folks, with that, that's it for this week in marketing. Now you know everything to be in the know. Uh, signing off until next week. Take care. Bye-bye.